there. I'm Havila Kennington, and this is Home with Havila Podcast. You know, to be honest, real life, right? Real life doing it together. That's what we're trying to do. And at Truth the Table, our goal is to anchor you in truth. You may not know what Truth the Table is. That's okay. Many people don't. It's a place where we come together as like a truth tribe to encourage each other, to strengthen ourselves in the word and to find other people that are in that same process, right? So we want to make sure that we feed our faith somewhere. I don't know if that's your local church. I don't know if that's another faith community. There's a ton of phenomenal communities of faith. Go find one and dig in and find other people that want to do life together and encourage your faith. So today, we're going to jump into the podcast. Go grab your coffee, go grab your tea, sit down for a minute, maybe plug it in and go for a walk and let's jump into faith over fear. Let's do this together. All right. My goal in bringing truth to table this week is I want it to get us back to the basics. I want to get us back to combating fear and combating fear with faith. You know, we put on our socials a couple weeks ago to feed your faith and starve your fear. And you guys went crazy. You love that thought. And so I want to revisit it and give you some foundational truths about it, but also to expand it a little more because it sounds really great and it's easy to like on a social, but like, what does it look like every day to feed my faith and starve my fear? You know, fear is real. We have a lot of different fear that we have. And, you know, on all different levels, right, fear is good for us. It keeps us safe. Sometimes are fearful of something and our body tells us not to do it or something, you know, in our mind says don't do it or don't get around that person or don't experience that. And it protects us. Fear protects us. But sometimes our fear is trying to give us a problem, but our fear does not always have the solution. Our faith does. So fear presents the problem, but faith presents the solution. So fears that we often experience, uh, and I know many of you that are on here today, maybe you have the fear that you're never going to get married. You know, maybe you've you've given God your love life and you're trying to, you know, grin and bear it and give him everything. And yet you're getting older and the time clock is changing and you're starting to wonder, am I ever going to get married and meet the love of my life? feels like all the good ones are taken and how do I get the good one and all the things. And I understand that and I I get it. Some of us have fear that we're never going to get pregnant. You know, we maybe found the love of our life. We tried to get pregnant and all of a sudden we're shocked that we can't get pregnant, that getting pregnant is difficult or maybe even nearly impossible for us. There's nothing more frustrating than not being able to do what we believed we were created to do. And for so many friends of mine, you know, that's a place of fear. Am I ever going to get pregnant? Am I ever going to have kids? Am I ever going to be young enough to have a family and all the things that we worry about? Maybe your fear looks like, am I going to miss my purpose? Like, am I going to miss my call? Is it too late? I wasted a lot of years and now I'm not sure, you know, am I really going to fulfill the call of God in my life? And it feels like everyone's ahead of me and I'm behind or it feels like everyone gets it. And I don't know. I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what God's called me to. I'm just literally trying to live my life and I haven't quite figured it out. Or maybe your fear is that they will never forgive you or they'll never trust you. 
Or maybe your fear is that you're never going to find healthy friends. I don't know what your fear is, but I'll tell you what, I have fear and I've had many of these fears myself. And so how do we look at fear and faith in being a Christ follower, right? Because there's a lot of things that we can pump up and have good thoughts and power through. But I want to show you something that really changed my life when it came to faith and truth and all the things. It kind of broke it down for me and it allowed me to live powerful in my own life without dismissing things that were really happening, right? I always say, we don't want you to dismiss the facts. We don't want you to dismiss facts because facts are what's there. You know, when we dismiss facts, we're delusional. Or, you know, we have a mental illness oftentimes and we're just disregarding fact. But what I want us to do is I want us to see how God sees fact and how God sees faith and what it looks like. You see, there's a difference between fact and truth. I'm going to say that again so you don't miss that point. There's a difference between fact and truth. And many of us don't often know how to edit what's happening in our lives between fact and truth. We tend to either give a lot of food to fact or a lot of food to truth. Oftentimes, we don't know kind of how to divide it down the center and go, okay, this is really happening. I'm not delusional. I get it. But I also have truth in my life. And how do I honor that? So let's jump into that. And if you're dealing with that today, just wherever you are, give me an amen, because I know a lot of us are. So I was thinking about the story in the book of John. John chapter 11 talks about this story of Jesus and his friends. You know, Jesus had this family that he... He had an affection towards. He loved them. It was two sisters and a brother. And we find that Jesus loves this family and these sisters and this brother. And we don't know where the mom and dad are. We don't know if they're orphans. We don't know if, you know, maybe, I mean, we do know Mary and one of them had come and poured perfume on Jesus's feet. So we do know there's some storylines in all of this. But at this point, there's this family that Jesus loves. And all of a sudden, the guy in the family, right, in the three's company, he gets really sick. His name is Lazarus. And all of a sudden, the sisters, Mary and Martha, who are sisters, they send a message to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, our brother Lazarus, the one that you love is very sick. Please come. Now, I want you to capture this for a minute because I love how this truth kind of pops out. You know, (laughs) I think even in this phrase, we can feel this pull, and maybe even a little bit of a passive aggressiveness to Martha and Mary. Because the message is, Jesus, Lazarus, the one you love. Like, remember the one that you care about? The one that you're supposed to be there for? The one that's depending on you? Yeah, he's waiting for you. I don't know. I've done that with God before, where I start to say like, hey, Jesus, Holy Spirit, God the Father, here I am, the one that you love. Remember the one that you said you'd take care of, the one that you said you would make it right. I'm here waiting on you. And sometimes it's because I don't know what he wants to do or is going to do. And so I want to make sure and motivate him. Can I just stop you right there? God does not need motivation to help you, to heal you, to set you free, to love you. He is fully motivated. He loves you so much. He created you, made you who you are, 
is not disappointed in what he got in you. You are exactly who he wanted you to be and to become. You are his kid. And so she's saying, hey, the one that you love, as if Jesus is going to dismiss Lazarus, but Jesus just, he does something different. It's interesting why he does this. It says, when he heard this, Jesus said to the disciples, the sickness will not end in death for Lazarus, but my glory and praise to God. This will reveal the greatness of the son of God by which takes place. So Jesus gives a promise. So in the middle of Martha and Mary telling Jesus about facts, my brother, the one you love is sick. Please come. I've been very clear. There's nothing you're missing in this. We need you to be here. Jesus looks at everyone and says, hey, I got this. I'll figure it out. It's going to be okay. And you would think that if he said it's going to be okay, he would act immediately. Now, for all of you at a place of waiting on God, and we all have been in this space, whether we are right now or will be, many of us believe that if God cared, he would make it right now. He would make it happen right now. He would heal us right now. He would set us free right now. He would give us the job right now, the marriage right now, the baby right now. Like, God, if you care, then be immediate in your response. And yet God, in his whole holiness and sovereignty, is able to see a moment of something that we need, but pull way back and know when it's time to act, when it's time to move on our behalf, and when it's time to help us. And so we often will hear a word, whether it's a prophetic word or a message or someone prays over us, and we immediately think God's coming to do it. And I just want to say, sometimes God will give us a promise, but it's going to take another three days before he does it. So don't lose hope. So this is what happens with Jesus. He waits three days. Now, many of us know that Jesus likes to work in miracles of three days. Can I get an amen? Something really powerful happened in three days in the scriptures. Yeah, he was killed and then resurrected on the third day. So the third day has some serious power and authority. But Jesus waits three days. Why does he wait three days? I mean, he could have went right then. It still would have been a miracle. But I would suggest that he waited three days because he wanted them to know that it was not by might and not by power, but by his spirit. And for many of you right now, if you got the job today or you got the ministry today or you got the husband today, you would believe that maybe you had something to do with it. But God wants to pull it way back so that you would know it was not by might or not by power not by manipulation, not by strong arming God, but in full surrender, you waited on him and he made it happen. If you're in the three day wait, can I just tell you, take a deep breath. Waiting on God is a skill that you will need for the rest of your life. Okay. Being a spiritual grown up and a spiritual leader requires us to know how to wait on God. I don't know anybody who blows up their life when God is acting. I often see that the time we leave God, do the stupid thing, do something we know is, you know, a counterfeit to the good choice of our life is often when we're in the waiting season. How do we know this? Look at Abraham. God says, you're going to have all these kids and it's going to be an amazing generation. And, you know, look at the stars in the sky. This is all the sons you're going to have. And then he had to wait 
And guess what happened when he had to wait? Pretty soon it felt like it was the last minute and the last minute and they were in dire straits and it was a disaster. He finally got his maidservant pregnant to maybe give him a kid and he's still messing with it. Why? Because he didn't know that there was going to be waiting, 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 waiting longer than he had anticipated. Can I just tell you this for a minute? Waiting on God is excruciating. It is. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how many things make sense. It doesn't matter how many prophetic words you get or what everybody tells you. Waiting on God is tough. So if you don't have a future, a compelling future, and we talked about this last time, a compelling future to where you're going, waiting on God will simply feel like God is torturing you. It just will. So you have to have a vision. You know, it's like the same way of being pregnant. I was pregnant four different times, four different sons. And for nine months, I had to feed and nurture and care for my body. And I got more uncomfortable and more irritated. And I gained more weight and I was more fatigued and more heartburn. And I got worse before it got better. But the only reason I was able to manage that nine months of pregnancy because I knew there was a promise at the end of it. And for many of us, it feels like we don't really know what we're getting at the end of this struggle. And so we have a tendency to feel like God has abandoned us. And I would challenge you to get back to focusing on your compelling future. What has he said? What is he going to do? And if you have to learn to wait, then wait with grace, wait with strength, and challenge the enemy that wants to lie to you that God has forgotten you. And so Jesus, let's jump back to that story. Jesus waits three full days. And man, these sisters are getting more and more angry. Really, God? Three whole days? You can't just drop everything and come? What's your problem? And Jesus waits And finally, on the third day, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, it's time to go to Bethany. Lazarus, our friend, has just fallen asleep. Now, everyone thought that Jesus meant Lazarus was really just sleeping. But what Jesus meant was that Lazarus had died. It was the end of all. That's what was happening. And so we see in verse 14 that Jesus made it plain to them that Lazarus was dead because he basically tells them, no, no, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there because now this is important. All my believers catch this for a minute because now you have an opportunity to see who I am so that you will learn to trust me. Guys, I want you to hear that phrase because this is the prophetic word for you and I in this season. I'm glad I wasn't there. This is like God saying, I'm glad I didn't give you that spouse. I'm glad I didn't give you that baby. I'm not trying to torture you. I just want you to understand something that now that we've been in this season right now, where I'm glad you didn't get everything you wanted when you wanted it. Now you're going to have an opportunity, another opportunity to see who I am so that you will learn to trust in me. Why? Because true trust is believing that God's intention towards us is always good. If you don't have trust, then you're a victim. If you don't have trust, then you are subject to what everybody's attitudes and feelings are about you. 
But when you have trust that God's got you, then you can have faith and your faith can override the facts in your life. We're going to talk about that for a few minutes. So the truth is there's a difference between fact and truth in your life. And we will always have two narratives following us. Okay. In your life, you will always have the first narrative. And that narrative in your life is simply this. It's just filled with facts. This was your mom and this was your dad and this is your IQ and this is your bank account and this is how old you are and this is how heavy you are and this is who loves you and this is who doesn't love you and this is who accepts you and this is who abandons you. Fact, 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 fact. Now, I want you to understand something. No one is asking you to deny the facts. Was Lazarus dead? Yes. He wasn't. Jesus wasn't saying, no, he's not dead. No, he wasn't dead. No, he's fine. He's fine. No, no. Jesus says, no, he is dead. Yes. And another thing is he said, listen, is Lazarus in the grave? Yes. So it's okay to say, fact is, this is really hard. This really hurt me. This happened in my life. I experienced this abuse. I experienced this abandonment or rejection. I experienced this loss. I'm not going to deny that. That's the first narrative and it's filled with facts. But the second narrative is critical. And the second narrative is filled with truth. You see, Lazarus was in the grave and he was dead. But the second narrative is that Jesus is coming and Jesus is going to wake him up. You see, for many of us, we're stuck in the facts. This is how old I am. This is my life. Facts are discouraging sometimes. We don't know how to fix our facts. But there's a second narrative that is from heaven that's speaking to us and saying, I'm coming to send the breakthrough. I'm coming to bring salvation. I'm coming to redeem. I'm coming to revive. I'm coming to resurrect. You see, when Jesus walks in the room, Everything comes with him. I want you to catch that for a minute. It's so important. When Jesus walks in the room, everything follows. He is an entourage of love and hope and faith and clarity and forgiveness and redemption. Jesus and his entourage is full of redemption. And so if you're experiencing a moment when Jesus, you want him to walk into the room, I want you to know something that Jesus is coming with his entourage of every good thing and you get to experience. It doesn't override the facts, but it re-educates. It redefines so that we can see his hand in our lives. And so every day we are faced with both facts and truth about our lives. You are as well. And the difference is fact is something that cannot be combated with reasoning. It's logic. Fact. Logic. It happened. I am here. I am talking. Facts. But truth is something that depends on a person's perspective and experience. So I may say this is who you are, but your perspective and your experience will dictate something very different. This is why it's really important that we figure this out because there's a huge difference in all of this. You see, perspective changes everything. We get it wrong when we don't know the whole story. You get it wrong. I get it wrong when we don't know the whole story. See, when Jesus went to Bethany after those three days and Lazarus is dead and sitting in a grave, 
Jesus began to approach the village and Martha heard Jesus was coming and she went out to meet him to give him a piece of her mind. I love it. Something inside of me thinks this is an Italian woman. Some of my roots because this woman is intense. She's meeting Jesus. She's like, I know you're the son of God and you're healing people and you're feeding thousands and you're casting out demons. But let me just give you a piece of my mind. And there's a part of me that thinks Martha went to meet him so she could say things that she didn't want the people in the house to hear. <laughs> How many of you can say, yeah, I amen to that. I get that. And so Martha comes to Jesus and she says, my Lord, my Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not be dead, right? If only you were here. But I know that if you were to ask God for anything, he would do it for you. Now, I love Martha's faith right here because she's like, it feels hopeless and helpless and I can't fix this. But I am reminded of who you are, that God, you can still do miracles. You are the God of miracles. You are the God that can do what you said you could do because you have access to heaven. And I love that reality that she's so clear, even in the midst of her grief and destitution and heartache and heartbreak. She's like, but you are the God that can do something. And I love that. The facts are, if you would only come sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. That is the facts. She's given Jesus her facts, but she flips the script and says, but I know that if you ask God anything, he'll do it for you. Guys, that is what faith looks like. Faith doesn't look like a blind faith of you know, God, you, you're you going to do it. It's fine. It's no big deal. It's all worked out. No, no. Faith. Listen, listen. We get this so wrong. Faith looks like if you had been there, he wouldn't have died. If you had been here, I wouldn't have got divorced. If you had been here, my child would be okay. If you had been here, that job would have been mine. If you had been here, my health would be whole. But you weren't here, right? Fact. If you had been here, all this would have been solved. But faith looks like the second narrative that pops in and says, but I know you have access to God in heaven. So if you want to access that right now, I still believe. I still believe. And for many of us right now, that's what faith looks like. It's not denying the facts, but it's not letting them define our truth. You see, Jesus comes in and Jesus invades the story. And the truth is, is that the world wants to dictate our lives by facts. It wants to say, this is what it is. This is who you are. This is why you can't. This is why you won't. And yet the spirit of God is saying, mm -mm, I am not dictated by all the facts of your life. I am a God of truth. And truth speaks a better word over our lives. You see, truth tells us that there is possibility in the middle of the impossible. That's what truth speaks over us. And so Jesus came to conquer facts with truth. Jesus came to have the final word. You know, we don't ignore facts. That's delusional. We simply don't let them have the final word. Guys, if you catch anything, I want you to capture this thought. We don't ignore facts. We just don't let them have the final word. If that's where you're at today, I would challenge you. Who has the final words over your life? I hope that you're choosing truth. You see, we each have God narratives that are set before us every day. And the choice to believe is up to us. 
Who are we going to choose? Jesus, with intense emotions, came to the tomb, a cave with a stone placed over the entrance. And Jesus told them, roll away the stone. And she says, but Lord, it's been four days. The body has decomposed. Like, you're crazy. No, I'm not going to do that. But Jesus has some truth that wants to show up in the midst of the grave. And she's still giving Jesus facts. But this can't happen. This won't happen. There's no way. He's dead. He's decomposed. It's disgusting. We cannot do this. And Jesus is trying to get her to wake up and say, I'm going to do a miracle right now. You're giving me all the facts. I'm not an idiot. I know what the facts are, but I'm going to do something different. I'm going to speak a better word. And so it says, Jesus looked at her and said, did I not tell you if you believe in me, you will see God unveil his power. Then with a loud voice, Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. Then in front of everyone, Lazarus, who had died Four days earlier, slowly hobbled out. He still had grave clothes tightly wrapped around his hands and feet and covered his face. And Jesus said, unwrap him and let him loose. You guys, if you want to experience a miraculous life, a supernatural life, a life that is not dictated by facts alone, you're going to have to go to graves places that seem done and the nail in the coffin and the the stone over the grave. And you're going to have to believe that God can break in, in the midst of the impossible. For so many of us, we have faith until facts override it. We go, yeah, I can believe I can believe. And then when there's no other possible human way of fixing it, we go, God can't. And yet God is saying, no, I want you to see I can awaken the dead thing out of the grave. And I love this thought because Lazarus is this mummy, right? Mummified being walking out of the grave. It must have been terrifying (laughs) to see him walking out of the grave. His face is covered. I mean, this is better than any Hollywood movie at this moment. Like he's walking out of the grave, wrapped in clothes. It's not like he walks out freshly showered, you know, when the wind is blowing, Lazarus looks like maybe somebody had just snuck him in. No, no. They wanted everyone to know he's exactly where you left him. And for many of you right now, you're at a place in your spiritual life where you're looking for a miracle and God wants you to know it is going to be so evident that his hand awakened this, that no man had made this happen. And that is so important. And so Jesus walks in and he resurrects Lazarus and Lazarus is whole. You see, today, how do we feed our faith and starve our fear? We don't ignore our fear. We just don't let it have the final word. And we let truth begin to override all the facts. I want to say this to you and just, oh, if you could capture this today, this is the most important. And that is, When Jesus walks in the room, everything comes with him. So what do we do? How do we get a breakthrough? You know, I don't know what breakthrough will come. I don't know when it will come in your life. But one thing that I know in my own life that works is when I simply say, Jesus, you are welcome. Come, be in my life, be in my choices, be in the way that I hold my heart and my mind. 
Because when you walk in the room, whether it's the room of my heart, the room of my mind, the room of my thoughts, everything comes with you. And that is what's most important. So today, I encourage you, feed that faith, starve that fear, and know the difference between fact and truth. All right, you guys, thanks for listening today. I'm so glad you're here. And I hope that you got something out of this. If you did and you're on our podcast, please leave me a comment and let me know and maybe a few stars to let me know that this spoke to you. We read each and every comment. Okay, that's all for this week. I want to let you know that you can apply this to your week, right? So drop it in the stories and tag me at Truth the Table and let us know how you fed your faith and starved your fear. Again, I want you to hear from you and feature you. So call, text, share, whatever it takes. I'd love to see that. Anyway, I love you guys. Have the best day ever and I'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.